We are in a very awesome study through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have your Bible, uh, open it to 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible or you have a smartphone, if you didn't know, there's a free Bible on your smartphone. Uh, and you can open that right now as well. Um, but please, this is the time not to be texting and Instagramming, even though it looks like you're reading your Bible. You're not tricking anybody, people. You're not tricking anybody. Um, anyway, 2 Timothy is a book. I'm going to give you a really, really, really quick recap if you haven't been here. If you want the full-blown deal, you have to go online to our podcast and listen. Uh, we've been in it for about four or five weeks now. Um, but 2 Timothy is a book, and then we're going to do some classroom participation here, okay? Who wrote the book of 2 Timothy? Cadell said Paul. Cadell is correct. Good job, Cadell. Uh, second question. Who was the book of 2 Timothy written to? Hey, that was an easy one. That was a softball toss up there. Okay. It was written to a guy named Timothy. Okay, what is significant about this book? Like, where did Paul write this book? Does anybody remember? Kara, why don't you stop being that person in the classroom, okay? You guys all know that person. Every answer, right? And you're like, shut up, girl in the corner. Always knows everything. That's Kara. In a jail cell, okay? Paul is a guy, if you don't know him, he's a very famous guy in the Bible, okay? Very, very awesome story. We're going to get to that a little bit here in a minute. But this guy has a very, very awesome, awesome story. This guy, Paul, he's this huge character in the New Testament. He is writing the book of 2 Timothy. It's not really a book. Originally, it was a letter. Like, he literally wrote a letter to his friend Timothy. Who's Timothy? Timothy is a guy who Paul sat under. So, like, maybe your small group leader really pours into your life. Your small group leader is the Paul, and you are the Timothy, all right? So, Timothy's just a guy that sat under Paul's teaching. And so we know from history, Timothy is a pastor in a city called Ephesus. All right, maybe you've heard of the book of Ephesians in the Bible. That is the city of Ephesus. And so all of it kind of makes sense. Once you read the Bible, you're like, ah, it makes sense. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter in a jail cell to his friend and the person he is mentoring named Timothy. Last question. What is super significant about 2 Timothy? It happens to be something of Paul. Like, it, it means something to Paul. Austin, what is it? It is the last letter that he wrote. Historians and Bible scholars tell us, as we trace over the New Testament, that 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Here's what that means. And we've said this over the last few weeks, but it carries a lot of weight. If you've ever sat next to somebody on, on, in a hospital bed when they were, like, dying, it, it's intense. Like, you, you hang on every word they say. Why? Because it might be the last words they say. And so Paul here is writing what the scholars and everyone tells us is literally his dying words. These are the last things he's saying, and he's writing this letter that we've been walking through, the first chapter of, called... Second Timothy. And a few weeks ago, we had invite night, and it feels like forever ago for me. I don't know about for you. We had like Easter, and then last week, Jordan taught, and then we had a week off, and it was crazy. Uh, but invite night, we looked at First Timothy, or sorry, Second Timothy, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And so here's what I want to do. What we're going to talk about tonight, which is verses 12 through 14, are directly related to, a, one, to 9 through 11. So if you have your Bible, follow along. We're going to read right now Second Timothy, chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. We got to catch ourselves up a little bit. And if you're, if you're new and you weren't at that message, it's cool because we're going to catch you up right now. First, second Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Here's what it says. God has, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality 
to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're like, what did he just say? Let me explain it in in our terms, okay? Here's what Paul says. God, who has saved us, you're like, why do we need to be saved? Go back and listen to the podcast. There's a reason you and I need to be saved. He says we were kind of doomed to live a life apart from God our whole lives. And so Paul here, to the guy that he is mentoring in a jail cell, he says, hey, God has saved us with this amazing, awesome thing that the Bible articulates as the gospel, which is good news. If, like we said that a few weeks ago. If you ever hear the word gospel, how that's translated is good news. Well, the bad news is, is we are all destined for living a life apart from God. And Paul says the good news, this awesome, glorious calling, as he calls it, uh, of the appearing of Jesus is the good news. It's the gospel. And he even says that. He says this is called the gospel. It's his own grace that he gave you and I. Here's what he did. He died on a cross for us. He rose again on the third day. We just celebrated that a few weeks ago. It's all Paul saying, listen, God rescued you and gave you an opportunity to experience the life you were created to live. He said in verse 11, I have been appointed a preacher and a teacher of this good news. I mean, when you start breaking down the Bible like that, it makes it really like, it, it, it goes from like really scary, like weird words, I don't understand it, to, hey, we can understand this. This is a guy writing a letter saying, hey man, God saved us. If I wrote you a letter and said, hey, don't forget the fact that Jesus died for you. And because of this amazing thing, he has called me to be a preacher, to, to be a teacher. That's what Paul's saying. And then he picks it up in verse 12 which is what we're going to read tonight. It's going to be on the screen, verses 12 through 14. All of that he said, and then he says this, for this reason, the reason of being called a teacher, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Here's what, here's what he basically says. Because of all that, here's what I want you to know, Timothy, in my dying words in a jail cell, because of all that, I suffer these things. That's not that hard to understand what he's saying. Suffer what things? Suffer the fact that he's sitting in a jail cell, probably getting beaten, probably not eating a lot. He's saying, because God is so awesome, and I'm about to explain what I mean, Timothy, but because this God is so good, I suffer these things. I'm okay with sitting in a jail cell, stinky, cold, dark, maybe some some crazy cellmates, definitely some harsh guards. I suffer these things. And he says, but I am not ashamed. Here's what I want to do tonight. I want to give us some highlighted parts of this passage of scripture. Listen, every word of the Bible is inspired by God, but sometimes things just kind of jump off the page. And for us, for you guys as teenagers, I want to look at a few things that I believe we can really pull from tonight. Because here's what we believe. We believe this is ho- this whole thing right here, and then the thing that's about to happen at 6.30 in the main service where Pastor Vance and Pastor Teddy and all them are going to have an awesome service. It's pointless if we just go, mm, 
Yeah, amen. That was good. That was good. Like, I like that one better than what Scott did last week. Or I, I like that one better. If we do that, then we say, okay, let me just kind of push pause on that Sunday ritual thing and go on living my life. It's pointless. Like, let's just fold this whole thing up and, and sell the building because that's, that's, that's not what God has called us to. When we open up the Bible, here's what we want for you. And not just for you, but for your parents and even for your little brothers and sisters. God, what do you have to say to me tonight? Like, out of this inspired word of God... This letter that was written 2,000 years ago, what might you have to say to me? And so here's what I want to challenge you with. We're going to look at some highlighted parts of this passage. Don't just breeze by this and think, oh, that was cool. I like how Scott said that. Yeah, that was cool. That's maybe like a tweetable moment. If all you ever have is tweetable moments in church, but there's never any actual change in your life, let's just fold this whole thing up. And I want to challenge you with that because... We have a tendency to do that. I have a tendency to do that. Man, I'll retweet something I loved. Like, oh, man, that was a really cool thing. But it's like, did I even, like, internalize it? Did I, do I even really know what I'm saying right now? And so we have a tendency to do that in sermons. Man, we love that. But if we walk out that door and leave it right here until next Sunday, it means nothing. So I want to challenge you, be open. Maybe you, you weren't open when you walked in the door. Be open tonight to God, for God to speak to you. Be open tonight for God to maybe get in your life a little bit and shake it up and say, hey, I want you to walk in this way. Because that's what I believe this, is, this whole gathering is about. So here's what he says. Here's the first highlighted thing. He says, I am not ashamed. There it is. For this reason, I suffer these chains in this jail cell, but I am not ashamed. I, I don't know if you've ever been ashamed in your life. I'm sure you have. But... Uh, I was ashamed really bad one time, and this week I was thinking about times I've been ashamed, and I've been ashamed a lot. But uh, one specifically is when I was in fourth grade. If you haven't heard me talk about, like, any Scott at any length of time, K through 12th grade, he was, like, amazing. Okay, just, like, really cool. Uh, Not really. I was a really short, like, runt kind of kid. But I, in fourth grade, used to love to drink a lot of soda and eat a lot of candy, all right? Is anybody else like that? Tyler Welch is up here. I think you and me are the same person. I got to be honest with you. (laughs) I agree, okay. Uh, I used to love, my mom didn't regulate it. Maybe your mom regulates soda. She's saving you, okay? My mom didn't regulate it, so I'd throw down like four or five like regular Cokes a day, which when you're like three foot nothing, that's really bad for your body, okay? Really bad. And then my favorite candy was those things called Smarties, all right? I love Smarties, you know, little I'm talking about, because I used to act like a doctor, and I'd be like, yeah, I got to take my pills. And you just like pop 700 Smarties, you know what I mean? Because you think, like, they kind of look like pills, or you thought they did. And so that was what my life was, was Coca-Cola, a lot of it, and Smarties. And so here's when I was ashamed is one day in fourth grade, I went to Dooley Elementary, which none of you guys know where that is, but it's really far in Henderson. And I went to Dooley Elementary, and um, I, I had a dentist appointment, all right? And so when you, I, you kind of grow out of this, probably your guys' age, but back then it was like you got to get out of school for like an hour, and you, even if it was the dentist, which is totally backwards. But I was like bragging to all my friends. You guys have no idea. Like you guys are about to do study hall and go through that stupid workbook, and like I'm about to go to the dentist, and at the dentist I'm going to get a free toothbrush, and at the dentist I'm going to sit down and read highlights. Does anyone remember that magazine? You know what I'm talking about? Highlights where you try to find the things in the pictures, okay? Only at the dentist's office. It's the only place those magazines are, at least for me. But uh, I would sit and I would get the highlights ready and I bragged to all my friends. You guys have no idea how awesome it is. I get to leave school. My mom's coming to pick me up in like an hour. Ha ha. You got to go to fourth grade Mrs. Burns class and I have to go to the dentist and look at highlights and get a free toothbrush and get that tingly stuff in my mouth. Ha ha, you people. Okay? 
So I go to the dentist, and life's good. I'm, I'm laughing all the way there because my friends are at school, and I'm at the dentist. And I told everybody about it. Like, I told everyone on, on, on the playground about this dentist appointment because I got to leave. And uh, so I'll never forget the guy, my dentist, uh, Dr. Stoker. Does anyone have Dr. Stoker as a dentist? Anybody? That'd be cool. No? He's literally, if, you, if you've ever seen Finding Nemo, that's my dentist. Okay, that just massive guy, and like, looks like he'll break your whole jaw. That's my dentist, or it was. And, and so Dr. Stoker calls my mom in, and I'm like, dude, why you call my mom in? This is kind of weird. He said, um, yeah, uh, Mrs. Vaughn, my mom's last name is different than mine. Mrs. Vaughn, uh, we have got to do something about Scotty's, that's what they call me, about Scotty's sugar intake. And I'm like thinking, whoa, bro, I'm right here, okay? Like, you know, I've talked to my mom. He goes, uh, yeah, he has nine cavities. Don't raise your hand, but if you've ever been in the dentist had nine cavities, it is seriously not a good place to be, okay? The next appointment where you have to, like, get the Novocaine, that was not fun, okay? But back then, my parents' insurance didn't have the cool white fillings. So if you ever see me in a picture with my mouth wide open, you're like, dang, Scott's got bling. It's like, yeah, I got a lot of bling in my mouth because a lot of cavities, okay? Fast forward a couple hours when I'm just like done mourning, I go on the playground and everyone's at recess and I'm like, man, this is horrible. This is horrible. I was bragging all the way. And so my friends are playing tetherball. I don't know if they play tetherball anymore, but tetherball was the jam. Okay. So we're playing tetherball and I like walk up and then my friends are like, that's the number one question kids ask when you go to the dentist. How many cavities? At least my sugar eating friends and I did. So it was like, Hey Scott, how many cavities? And I'm like, nine. What? I couldn't hear you, man. How many cavities? I'm like, nine. Urgh! Like the record player of the world scratch, you know, it felt like in that moment. And everybody looked at me and was like, ah! And like, I might as well have been standing there like in my underwear by myself, you know what I mean? Because I was so ashamed. Like so, so, so ashamed because here I am bragging about going to the dentist and leaving school for like an hour and a half And then here I come back and I have to tell all my friends, I have nine cavities. I don't know if you've ever been ashamed. I'm sure you have. Maybe it's not a cavity story, but here's what ashamed is. Ashamed is you are scared. You are embarrassed. You are shamed for talking about something or something happened to you that made you ashamed. And you kind of don't want to be in that moment. So Paul here says, I am not ashamed. And this is very weird. And I want to try to paint this picture for you. It is very weird because Paul had every reason to be ashamed. Okay, if you haven't heard the story of Paul, Paul grew up and he was, I mean, he was the most religious elite. I mean, this guy had money. This guy had power. This guy, there's a story in the Bible where these people are killing this Christian. And, and it says that they go and they lay their clothes at the feet of this guy named Paul. Like, Paul is a somebody. When Paul walks in the room, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's Paul. Hey, 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 did you see over there? Paul just walked in the room. This dude is a reputation. He, has a, he, is, he is somebody. Fast forward however many years, he has this amazing story where God literally stops him in his tracks when he's on his way to arrest Christians. He says, Paul, stop doing what you're doing. If you read the Bible up until Acts chapter 9, his name is Saul. If you see that in the New Testament, that's Paul. God changed his name when he, when, he, when he rescued him. He said, hey, I don't want you to do what you're doing anymore. Stop it. And all of a sudden, we see this radical switch in Paul's life. And he starts pursuing the things of Jesus. And he starts preaching the gospel all over the place. So much to where people literally beat him almost to death. Where people take him and they throw him in a jail cell for years. And now here we find him in a jail cell about to die. And Paul says, hey... 
I know this looks bad. I know I'm in a stinky jail cell. I know I, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. I know I'm in this place where it looks really shameful. But I want you to know something, Timothy. Struggling pastor in Ephesus, I am not ashamed. I have every reason to. The world would look at me and say, that's Paul. Like that guy that used to be somebody, but now he meets Jesus and he's nobody. Look at him in that jail cell, skinny. Look at him in that jail cell, barely even walking because he's so beat up. And Paul says, I don't care what they say. Listen, I am not ashamed. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, another verse of scripture. I think it's going to be on the screen. Here's what it says there. Same guy, Paul. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. This good news that we've been talking about. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here he's writing to a church in Rome and he says, listen, no matter what happens to me, no matter what stories you hear of me getting beat up, getting, getting, getting persecuted, getting made fun of because of my faith, listen, listen, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I go, I go on the playground, I tell all the people, hey, I got nine cavities and I am not ashamed. I, I was shamed in that moment. You've been ashamed in that moment. But Paul says, no matter what you hear about me, I stand firm on something. That's going to talk about in the next few verses. I stand firm and I'm not ashamed. Again, plug this into your life. Maybe I'm crazy. But I would be willing to bet every single one of you have had that moment where you're at the lunch table. Where you're on the sports field. Where you're in that class. Somebody brings up church. Somebody brings up religion. Somebody brings up Jesus, the Bible. And you go, oh man, shoot. And you start sweating. I've been there, okay? You start, you start freaking out because, God forbid, they look at you and say, what do you think about all this? What, what do you think about, you know, we've been talking about evolution in, in biology class. What do you think about that? And God forbid you say something ridiculous in their eyes like you actually believe a creator God created all the world. You would maybe in that moment be totally ashamed. And that's okay. I've been there. Well, you're like... I don't want to bring this up in my lunch table. My lunch table is this safe spot where nobody talks about Jesus. Jesus is my Sunday thing. I don't really want to get in this conversation here. Paul says, listen, no matter what is happening in your life, I am not ashamed. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is hope for every human in the world. It is hope for all who believe. It is salvation. Here's what that means. We got to figure out how to switch it in our brains to understand like Paul to say, I don't care what's going on. I'm not ashamed of this. My lunch table is going to think I'm crazy. My, my sports team, I was maybe cool like Paul was at one time. I had that reputation, but God, something happened in me, and God gave me a boldness, and now they look at me like Paul in that jail cell, and they think, how, how stupid is Paul? And Paul says, hey, that's okay. I am not ashamed. No matter what my reputation is, no matter what people say about me, no matter what looks I get when I walk in the room that I didn't used to get when I was cool, before they knew I was a Jesus follower, I'm not ashamed. He goes on to say this. For I know whom I have believed. Not only am I not ashamed, why is he not ashamed? Not because he's just bold Paul. He says, no, I am not ashamed for, so because I know whom I have believed. When you know something, like you know that you know that you know, what does that give you? That gives you an extreme amount of confidence. 
It gives you like an unbelievable amount of confidence. Like if you studied for hours and hours and hours and hours for that Spanish test, like you studied more than you've ever studied for anything before. Do you walk in that Spanish, that Spanish class the next day and you're sweating? You're like, man, I really hope I get this. No, that happens when you haven't studied a minute. Okay. Then, then you start freaking out. But when you've studied for hours and hours and hours, you've done the flashcards, you've had your mom like test you, fake test you, whatever. You walk into that classroom, what? Super confident that you know what's on that test. So Paul's saying, look, I know whom I have believed. When we see stuff like that in the Bible, here's what we have to ask. And I asked myself this question this week, and I want you to ask, do you know who you believed? That doesn't mean like I know of, okay? This isn't like, you know, we know Martin Luther King existed, did a lot of great things for the world, an amazing civil rights movement, you know, guy. I mean, we, we celebrate him every year now. I mean, we know Martin Luther King existed. No, no, no. This is I know Meaning, I know that I know. It's a difference between my head and my heart. It's something like I put all my weight in, all my stock in. Paul's saying, I'm in this jail cell right now, and it looks really, really, really bad. But I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom I have believed. I know it. Nobody can convince me otherwise. I know whom I have believed. We have got to make the switch from knowing as teenagers in our head that Jesus is awesome and living that out in our hearts with our lives. People see it, and they're like, there's something different about that person. Maybe, maybe they're going to be turned off to it, and they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to think you're lame, and all this kind of stuff happened to me, it probably happened to you. When all of a sudden your cool friends find out you love Jesus, and all of a sudden you're not cool anymore, when are your friends in the first place? Can I say that? They want your friends if they're just going to ditch you because you put faith and trust in the giver of life, okay? But some will do that. Mine did that my senior year when they found out I was a Christian. You say, man, that's, that's fine. I know. A lot of you guys are on Twitter. I know that. So you probably heard there's a, a guy that we have a relationship with here at Hope, a famous pastor named Rick Warren. His son, a couple weeks ago, um, struggle with mental illness and depression and like some crazy stuff. And, and in a moment of weakness, he, he took his own life. And so I've been really just hanging on to Rick Warren's tweets because, I mean, when this dude's tweeting things, it's like, man, this guy is like in it. Like he's in the middle of the crazy storm. And I was, as I was preparing this week, I saw this tweet and I, I wanted to read it. Here's what Rick Warren's tweet says. I don't have to know why everything happens since I know God is good. He loves me. And life on earth isn't the whole story. Here's what he's saying. Hey, I'm going through it right now. But here's what I know. This isn't it. I know whom I have believed. I know there's a bigger part to this story. It's not a head no. I just know it like I know Martin Luther King existed. No, I know it like I live my life because of it. He goes on to say this. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I entrusted to him. What is that that you entrusted to him? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, here's what that means. You've given him your life. You've surrendered control of your life to Jesus. And here's what Paul is saying. I am convinced that he is able, God is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him. Again, I don't know if you've ever been like so convinced of something that you wanted to like fight for it. Again, I have some cool stories of when I was a kid and I was like a fiery little Buster, okay? I was convinced, nobody could tell me otherwise, 
as a junior high school student, I kind of got over in high school when I was 4'11 in the 10th grade, okay? That's really small, in case you weren't there. 4'11 in the 10th grade, really small. So I kind of got over it. But in junior high school, I was convinced that I was going to be a running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Like, convinced. Listen, like my dad one time, I was visiting, is when he lived in Iowa. Now he lives in Texas, but I was in Iowa. We had Thanksgiving dinner. It's a nice, happy family gathering. And, and my dad said something about, like, I think I said something smart or something. Like, you know how parents are. And, like, he was like, you should be a doctor. And I, I was like, I, like, go, whoa. <laughs> no. I, I'm, I'm going to be the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. And my dad does what he does, you know, like, oh, 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 dishing up some peas or whatever. And, and I said, no, 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 dad. I'm going to be the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. And he goes, well, you know, Scotty, you know, you know, you're kind of small. And I literally, this is not good. I'm not recommending this tomorrow at dinner. But I literally stood up and was like, listen, why don't you believe in me? And I start crying. And I'm like, I am going to be the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. What was that? That was a confused but convinced little Scotty. That I was going to be the running back. I literally would fight for it. I'm not going to like punch my dad. That would be bad. Like, he's like triple my size. But I would like get so angry. Why? Because you could not convince me otherwise. That I was going to be Emmett Smith's like replacement. Okay, Emmett Smith, really awesome running back in the Dallas Cowboys. I was going to be his replacement. Scott Worthington from Las Vegas, Nevada at like 4 nothing. I was going to be his replacement. I was convinced of it. He re- I rested everything, everything in my life was the Dallas Cowboys. I, like, trained for it, like, meaning I ran outside, like, drills, like, me, just me in circles. You know what I mean? Like, me and a football throwing it and running to catch it. Okay, I, I was so convinced that I was going to be on the Dallas Cowboys. So Paul says that here. I am convinced. You can't, you can't tell me otherwise. You can't try to talk me out of it. If you bring it up at dinner, I'm going to stand up and get really upset with you. I am convinced that this God that is so awesome that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that this glorious, awesome, good news, that he is able to take care of me. I'm convinced of it. Don't try to tell me otherwise. Again, this dude is in a jail cell getting ready to die. Hungry. People are laughing at him. People are probably spitting on him, kicking him. That's just lame loser Paul over there. Did nothing with his life. He had all this awesome stuff going for him as a Pharisee. But look at him now. And he's saying, I don't care. Look, at I'm not ashamed. I know who I believe. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced. Again, in the book of Romans, Paul, the same guy in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. This is like something to like, I don't know, tweet this, put this somewhere, favorite it on Twitter. Put this somewhere. You're going to see this. Okay. This is like awesome, awesome passage of scripture in verse uh, 37 of chapter eight of Romans. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Just listen. Romans chapter eight, 37. Here's what it says. A 38. I'm sorry. For I am convinced, same word, it's the same guy, same Paul. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul's saying, listen. Right here in the jail cell, but also when I was living life and I was traveling and I was speaking to churches and I was writing a letter to Rome, I am convinced that this Jesus is the real deal. And if you study the life of Paul, you got to know this guy obviously really believed this because he literally totally abandoned a life of luxury and, and, and power all for the gospel. Not a lot of luxury, not a lot of power. In fact, the opposite. 
getting beat up, getting persecuted, getting thrown in jail. He says, listen, I am convinced that nothing, if you go through that list, you can't really find anywhere you can put something. Nothing, height, depth, things present, things to come, on earth, under the earth, over the earth. Nothing in the universe can, can, can stop and can hinder the love of God, can separate us from Jesus. If you're a, a follower of Christ in the room, like, put that somewhere. Because no matter what you face in this world, no matter how messed up your home is, no matter how messed up the people at school treat you, no matter what broken heart you find yourself picking up the pieces of at that moment or that season in your life, whether you're 16 or 26 or 36, here's what it says, the follower of Jesus, nothing in the universe can separate you from a God that loves you so, so, so much. Nothing. Here's what this confidence is never going to come by. This, this con- being convinced, this confidence that Paul talks about, it is never going to come in your life because you come to refuge. I, I don't care how amazing the worship is and Ben just brings it like they did tonight or how awesome you felt like the word of God was preached. You're not going to walk out of here being like, man, that was awesome. An hour of my life and I'm convinced. I'm convinced that this Jesus is awesome. You can't go to enough exposures, enough camps. You can't listen. Listen, if you haven't been to Pastor Vance's sermon this morning, you need to go, okay? You need to get in there at 630. I mean, this dude, for like 50 minutes, it's a long time. You don't even realize it's that long. He just straight brings it, and you're like, dang, God is amazing. You won't walk out of that room saying, man, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that God is awesome. And I'm going to totally give my life to it. Here's what we believe the only way you can be convinced as you open up the word of God daily, every other day, whatever's good for you, but it's consistent. You say, God, I'm not convinced right now. Convince me. For me, I started reading the book of Psalms because they said it was like songs, like actual songs. And I was a musician, a songwriter. And so for me, when I was 17, I gave my life to Christ. I started reading Psalm chapter one and I read other things now, but every day, part of my life is Psalms. Okay. So I go from Psalm one to Psalm 150 and back to Psalm one. And I've been doing it for nine years. And here's what I still find myself doing. I still find myself saying, God, sometimes I'm not convinced. Convince me. Convince me that you are the real deal. Convince me like Paul is in this jail cell saying, I am convinced. Convince me like that. Because this dude gave up everything for Jesus. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if you would do that. Paul says, convince. I am convinced. And so every day, man, that's the only way you're going to be convinced. No sermon, no song, no church service, no camp. Okay, we're going to go to camp. That's always like the super awesome spiritual mountaintop. No camp experience is going to make you super convinced that's going to last your whole life. The only thing that's going to make you super convinced is when you daily spend time with God. It's the only time. Because God every day convinces you and convinces you and convinces you. And it's not an every week thing or every year thing. It's every day convince me. What does all this mean? We'll wrap it up here. Why, why are we talking about this? What, what does this mean for my life? How can I plug this into my life and walk out of the door tonight and be different? I'm going to give you a statement that I really believe is true. And I really believe if we think about it and don't just rush by it, write it down somewhere, put it in your phone. I believe this statement really could change the way some of us live. Here's what it says. When you are convinced, you are not ashamed. When you are not convinced, you are cautious. When you are convinced, you are not ashamed. When you are not convinced, 
you are cautious. Here's what I know, okay? And, and I, I see you guys post pictures of my kids. Here's what I know. I got two kids, Bryce and Avery, almost four and almost two. They're just, like, awesomely cute, okay? That's just the bottom line, okay? My kids are, like, the bomb cute, okay? I'm not saying they're, like, the cutest in the world. I personally think they are, but I know there's some really cute kids in the world, okay? But I'm, like, convinced that my kids are super cute, okay? Awesome, awesome. And I see you guys post some pictures, and I always like them, and I always, like, say, oh, my kids are amazing. Here's what I know. I'm convinced of it, so I am not ashamed, Like on my Instagram, if you follow me, I say, if you follow me, be ready for kids, okay? All the time, pictures of my kids. If you don't like my kids, don't follow me because like, it'll be like food, kid, 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 food, kid, 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 kid. Like that's just how my Instagram is, okay? I am convinced that my kids are super cute, so I am unashamed. I'm like, listen, I'm going to post about them all the time. Be ready or unfollow me. I am not convinced that I can dance. Not convinced of that, okay? If you've ever seen me trying to dance, it's not cute, okay? It's not cute. It's not cute or not cool. I don't know either one. But here's what I am. I am very cautious. If you ever see like that scene where everyone's hanging out at a house and there's like Dance Central going on, here's what Scott's doing. Scott's over by the Chiefs Puffs and the soda, and I'm just watching people, right? People are like, Scott, go ahead. And I'm like, yeah, what? There's conversation over here. I got to get in this. I am not convinced that I am a good dancer. Therefore, I am cautious. I do not go where there's dancing. I am not convinced of that. And so I am cautious for you in your life. If you are convinced that Jesus, like Paul, is the real deal, like he's the real deal, he's changed your life, you've seen him move in your life, here's what I can guarantee is part of your life, man. You're not ashamed. I'm not saying you go into your school with a bullhorn and tell everyone, Jesus is awesome, you better worship him. No, but you're not sweating when Jesus gets brought up. You're not freaking out when you have that situation, when people bring up something about church or religion or, or a relationship with God. You're not freaking out. You're, you're not ashamed. You'll, you'll step into that conversation. You'll be loving. You'll be gracious. But you're going to tell people the truth when you're convinced. But when you're not convinced... When you're like, man, I really like church. Sometimes I like the messages. I really like the songs. I don't really spend time with God a lot. I haven't really been, I haven't really seen those cool God moments in my life. Here's what I can guarantee. And I've been here. You're not crazy. You're cautious. You're sweating when those conversations get brought up. You are cautious to start conversations. When we talk about invite night and we start saying, hey, bring your friends. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I even supposed to start that conversation? I've never mentioned my, to my friend's church ever, not once. How am I supposed to start that conversation? Hey, I'm not saying you're crazy. I'm not saying you're bad. But I'm saying you need to get in the word of God and say, God, convince me. Because that's what you were made for. You and I were made to be convinced that we were created for a relationship with God. And so when we walk away from that and we do our own thing, Here's what's going to happen. God's going to draw us to himself. God's going to get in our face a little bit and say, no, 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 this is my plan for you. Maybe for you, that's, that's what this is tonight. God's saying, hey, stop running. I, I want a relationship with you, and I want to convince you that I'm the real deal. 